Hello and welcome to West Indies on 99.94 Cricket Every Day. My name is Mashal St. Patrick Hewitt, one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. And with me as ever is Santoki Nagilendran, also one half of the Caribbean Cricket Podcast. West Indies on 99.94 is your new home for West Indies cricket content. And we'll be dropping into your podcast feed on YouTube or the 99.94 app. We'll be doing this several times every week. So please rate, review, like, subscribe, share, and thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Today on West Indies on 99.94 DM, we're going to be doing a roundup show because, as we always say, there's never a dull day in West Indies cricket. Santoki, take it away. Yeah, Mash, and we're going to start off by talking about the Super 50. Now, Cricket West Indies on October the 12th announced the Super 50 for 2022 will take place on Saturday, October the 29th, running for a few weeks in Trinidad and Tobago and Antigua. Now, we've lamented the ODI side and our struggles to qualify for the 2023 World Cup, and that's partly because we haven't played much domestic 50-over cricket. The last Super 50 tournament was held during the COVID era in February 2021, so it's been about 18 months since players have had some sort of top-level 50-over cricket. Now, the big difference this year in 2022 is there'll be two sides added to the lineup from 2021. We'll have combined colleges and campuses who have played in it many years before, but were omitted from 2021. So that's, for those who don't know, that's players who are generally studying at the University of West Indies, young up-and-coming players. Although in the past, we've seen Carlos Brathwaite captain them. So occasionally, they'll have experienced players in the side. And importantly, someone something Johnny Graves sort of emphasised, the West Indies Academy is going to have a side. So the youngsters, those coming up, the under-19s, the future generations of West Indies cricket will have a side represented in the 50-over tournament. So, Michelle, just pivoting to that point, how important, specifically um, West Indies Academy, how important is it to have these sides in the Super 50 tournament? I think first things first, we have to first paint the context that arguably ODI cricket is West Indies' worst format. Um, and, and once you understand that is the kind of um, foundation for looking at Super 50, then it kind of places the tournament. It kind of puts the tournament in the in the light of why we must look at it with so much detail. So in responding to your aspect about the academy, first, let's actually, let's first look at the academy. I think having heralded both of us, the fact that West Indies were putting significant investment in this academy, the best 19 to 25-year-olds in the region, both men's and women's, but obviously we're looking at the men's um, in the context of Super 50. It, it, it makes sense. It makes sense that the next logical step would be to put an academy side in Super 50. I think one of the criticisms of West Indies domestic cricket as a whole is that we don't have enough teams. Now, obviously, we combine all of the Leeward Islands, the Windward Islands, etc. But ultimately, that only leaves you with six teams. It's not enough games. It's not enough exposure. So by adding two extra teams in, it just means, I'm not saying it'll be more competitive cricket, but it's more cricket in general. And the region needs that. And also for, for, the, for, the, for the academy players, Super 50 is the next natural step. Because one of the problems in our domestic games in Tokyo is that there's not enough of a clear pipeline for a promising youngster. There's only 15 places available in any one territorial squad. So take a strong squad. Actually, let's take someone like a, a Guyana. Ashmead Ned's progress 
as a as a orthodox spinner will always be stunted because ahead of him you've got Per Mole. Ahead of him, you've got Kudakesh Moti. How many left arm spinners can you really get into a, a, a Guyana side, right? So unless another franchise is willing to pick up someone like an Ashmead Ned, he just goes from year to year, barely playing any cricket. And given he was one of the kind of standout players from his time in the under-19 side, the academy fills the void. Now Ashmead is guaranteed, what, six games guaranteed of Super 50 cricket. And that's crucial for it, for his development. In terms and and so on and so forth for any other player who ends up in the academy squad, because of course some of those academy players may well make it into their franchise team. Um, thinking that someone like a Teddy Bishop or an Akima Gost may well find their way into their franchise, uh, their territorial side anyway. In terms of CCC though, Santoki, if I kind of send it back to you, I'm intrigued to know what CCC is going to look like because historically. That's supposed to, well, who knows what CCC is really supposed to be nowadays, but historically it kind of been linked to players who were doing like um, university courses in whatever loose way it could be determined that they were at university and hence they would find their way into the CCC side. I don't know how it works now though, Santoki. What do you think the makeup of that side is going to look like? Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting one. Obviously, CCC in the past, we've seen players such as Carl Mayers come through CCC and then make it to the Windward Islands. Um, I think it addresses a real gap in the domestic scene at the moment because you've talked about the academy side, you know, players who are 18, 19, 20 in that academy side. We still have a massive void of players who are 22, 23, even 24, 25, who haven't been given an opportunity to get into their first-class side. So I'd like to see CCC optimise that. A perfect example being someone like Amir Jangu, you know, we saw did well in CPL, um, hasn't been able to break through in the Trinidad and Tobago side. Obviously, the last um, Super 50, Trinidad and Tobago had Pollards, Narayan, the senior player. So it's hard for a player like Jangu, who's in his mid-20s, to come through. He's a graduate of University West Indies. So I assume it will be that category of players in their mid-20s who haven't been given the opportunity to break into the 15-man franchise, their home franchise, it'll be um, they'll be given an opportunity. So for me, it kind of works nicely. You've got the academy side linking those teenagers and players in their younger 20s, those trying to get the experience. And then the CCC will fill in the gap with players who are slightly older, slightly more experienced. And you never know, like we saw with Carlos Brathwaite, you might get, um, I don't know, let's take like something like a Shamar Brooks, an older player who maybe doesn't make their 15 home franchise be thrown in as well to lead the CCC gain experience. So it'd be, I think it fills the void nicely and it will have it'll add an interesting competition because, you know, we've seen in the past the West Indies emerging players have sprung a surprise in Super 50. So it'd be interesting to see how CCC and the Academy side do. Now, MASH, obviously the Super 50 is taking place October 29th. This means every island and nation is currently in planning or currently holding their own local 50 over domestic competition. And so... After the break, we're going to talk about the return of the icon himself, Shimon Hetmeyer. You're listening to Cricket's Conversation on 99.94. Whatever your team, we have the show for you on podcast, YouTube or on the 99.94 app. We have India, England, South Africa, West Indies and now Sri Lanka covered. If you want to find us, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM by downloading the 9994 app or Google 99.94 on podcast. We speak cricket. 
Okay, guys, welcome back. So we're here to talk about Shimron Hetmeyer. Now, Guyana, in preparation for their Super 50, have held their inter-county senior tournament. So that's the different counties in Guyana, Demerara, Burbis, Essequibo, have all named their squads and they're currently taking part. Now, a big headline for Burbis was Shimron Hetmeyer playing the tournament. Now, for those of you who have been out of the loop, where have you been? But Shimron Hetmeyer should have been in Australia taking part in the T20 World Cup. Um, he missed his flight and his subsequent rescheduled flight. So he's opted to play at Border Cricket Ground for Burbis. Now, Michelle, from your point of view, how does it look as a, as a West Indies cricket fan to see Shimron Hetmeyer batting in front of about five fans in Georgetown, Guyana for Burbis cricket team when we know, bearing in mind his talent, he should be in Australia at the moment for the West Indies? Right. So Santoki, I mean, this is... <laughs> I don't know what you want me to say to this one. This is a bit of a techie one, Santoki, because if I say what I truly believe, I'll never feature on this show ever again. So, so I'm almost reluctant to answer this question. But um, last time last time I spoke on Shimon Hetmeyer, I said I was done with him, right? And maybe I was a bit harsh, but I also felt that way. That, that, that kind of was true feeling. If we're going to be honest, Santokin, if we're going to answer that question honestly, and I think I'm really I should push it back to you as, as a guy in these to kind of expand on the point I'm about to make. Hetmeyer playing in the, in the inter-county tournament almost speaks to a wider cultural issue in terms of Guyana's place within West Indies cricket. Now, that's explosive. That's explosive. I already know what's going to come now, Santoki. We're going to get pure people commenting under this video when they watch it. Enough people sending us ads because I made that statement. But I'm not saying that to attack anything. I just think there is a wider... You can't answer that Hetmeyer playing in the inter-county um, competition question without also acknowledging that Guyana comes first for, for quite a lot of Guyanese when we put it in the context of... West Indies cricket and I just think that this is a perfect kind of microcosm of how of, of that issue because if Hetmeyer really cared about optics he would have laid low after missing that plane if he really genuinely cared about optics and what it means in regards to West Indies cricket he wouldn't have shown his face he would have stayed at home and he would have played the, nah, I stayed because of my wife or whatever it might be and my child and I'm a family man and da, 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 da. Man said, after he said he's not getting a plane, oh, cricket tournament's running. Let me jump on the field two days later. <laughs> Wherever anyone stands on that, the, again, I say it, the optics look absolutely horrendous. Yeah, no, 100%. And we'd probably need to do a whole episode on the dynamics of Guyana. Obviously, it's in the South American mainland, so physically, geographically different uh, from the rest of the West Indies. But I think even if you look deeper than that, within Guyana, there's massive differences if you're from Burbis um, as opposed to someone from Georgetown. Um, I guess because of the vast landscape of the country, Burbis seems so far away, um, both culturally and physically, from Georgetown. So for me, I'd take it even farther and say... Um, Shimon Hetmeyer is proud of being Burbese. We've seen he set up a charity donated to kids. He's he's always promoting being from Burbese. So for me, this sort of shows his commitment to Burbese County, kind of, as you said, showing up in this tournament, um, looking positive, taking part in it. And then that, that leads the optics of he's he's committed to his county, but how committed is he to the West Indies? Obviously, in the past 
few years, we've seen very a lot of inconsistencies with his commitment. So it's a weird juxtaposition in that, as you rightly said, Mash, I don't know if we'd see this across any other nation in the Caribbean or island in the Caribbean. Someone more committed to their local club slash county rather than West Indies as a whole. If anything, because it personally benefits you more to be committed to the West Indies because that's the bigger stage. <laughs> so, so it'd be interesting to kind of get the psychology of it. But as you rightly said, the optics don't look good. He's um he's playing in Burbies. The quality of the competition, I know there's a few players scattered around, Kimo, Paul, Romario, Shepard, Leon Johnson, but generally the quality of the tournament isn't going to benefit him. We saw him smashing a few sixes. It's, it's essentially club cricket for him. So for me, he's made a very visible statement by coming out and bat, batting for Burbies. And I don't know whether that's aim at Cricket West Indies or even just fans in general, but there's obviously a deliberate decision to show this commitment to his local county and Guyanese cricket and it'll be interesting to see like if anyone else if you have any opinions on this if you're Guyanese if you're not if you've got any interpretations comment below in this video or message us at carry cricket because it'd be interesting obviously we're both based in the UK it'd be interesting to hear from people on the ground in Guyana or in the Caribbean sort of what your perceptions are with the relationship between Guyana and West Indies cricket now Mash moving on well before that, before we get onto that, it looks like obviously Leon Johnson he scored 153 for his county uh, Demerara. So it looks like we will see sort of the familiar faces for Guyana Harpy Eagles coming up in the Super 50. Now, interestingly enough, Trinidad and Tobago. There's been suggestions that, bearing in mind this is the first time that Pollard, DJ Bravo have been retired from West Indies cricket. Obviously, they've got Lyndall Simmons, Ravi Vampul no longer playing for West Indies cricket. There's been suggestions that all of these guys will be taking part for Trinidad and Tobago in the Super 50 coming up. Now, I'd be interested to get your thoughts. Do you think that this is beneficial for cricket in West Indies if they did call up a load of senior players? Um, or do you think this is more blocking the opportunity, as we discussed earlier, of sort of younger, less experienced players getting an opportunity for Super 50? Where do you stand? Do you see it as Trinidad and Tobago should pick their best players available to win the competition? Or should they think holistically about developing talent in the region? If you love the language of cricket and want more, then head over to the 99.94 app and you can hear all of our podcasts and cricket commentary. We're adding new shows all the time and covering cricket series from all over the world. Be the first to hear all of our announcements by following us on social media at 9994DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Okay, so in the Super 50, we've seen um, Leon Johnson score 153 for, for his county, Demerara. But moving on, Mash, let's talk about Trinidad and Tobago. So there's been suggestions in the media that, bearing in mind Pollard and DJ Bravo are retired from West Indies duty, that Trinidad and Tobago will select them for the Super 50. And you've also got other senior players, Lendl Simmons, Ravi Vampel, who aren't in playing for West Indies anymore. Now, this opens up an interesting debate. Do you think Trinidad and Tobago should select all of their senior veteran players who are in the age bracket of 35 plus in order to heighten their own chances of winning a tournament? Or do you think they should think more holistically and try to bring in more inexperienced younger players to kind of benefit cricket in not only Trinidad and Tobago but in the West Indies region where do you sort of stand on team selection in that regard I always I feel like Trinidad already did that so the last Super 50 that was everybody that should have been and was in my mind everybody's last dance so Collard was there and the Ryan was there Rampal was there uh, I can't remember if Lendl Simmons was there but they basically picked a golden oldies Trini side and the worst thing about it was they smashed everyone. 
That's the that's <laughs> so so what what's there to prove? They, they they did it and clowned on everybody to the point where Josh De Silva even messaged us saying that they were studying up how to that studied up how to bring the trophy home. So um I, I I don't see what there is to gain anymore by um by by Trinidad selecting an, another kind of experienced side. The better thing to do is to just have them around the camp. So I can imagine that DJ Bravo would be willing to half the tournaments in Trinidad, so I'd imagine that DJ Bravo would be willing to give up his time. Um, and, and mentor the players. We have to, similar to this 2022 T20 World Cup, we have to now move to the next generation of players. And Trinidad have, rightly or wrongly, players like a Jide Gooley, players like a Keegan Simmons. They're never, it's, it's what I said about Ashmead Nett. How can they improve if they're never going to get games? So even if it means that Trinidad have to come last in the tournament, figuratively speaking, it's time now to move to the next stage of players. And so for me, that means no Pollard, no Bravo, no, not that they'd want to play, I'd imagine, no Rampal, no Simmons, um, no Jason Mohammed, no Jason Mohammed, and arguably no Darren Bravo. I think they have to set an intention clear that we are now actually actively trying to move to the next generation of players from Trinidad and Tobago. Okay, yeah. So that's an interesting point, Mash. And I think it'll be interesting to see what selection Trinidad and Tobago do go. Obviously, the unique dynamic of West Indies cricket means that everyone's playing for patriotism as much as they are to sort of develop West Indies cricket. And that's unique to um, cricket in the Caribbean. Now, after the break, Mash, we're going to talk about West Indies warm-up game. I say game because um, it wasn't plural as planned, but we're going to discuss that and look at where we are heading into the T20 World Cup. So join us after the break. Okay, welcome back, guys. Now, West Indies played were scheduled to play two warm-up games against UAE and Netherlands. Unfortunately, the game against Netherlands in Hobart was rained off. So that's given us one game to analyse as their preparations for the World Cup. They got the victory, the crucial victory over UAE, but it's fair to say it was not an official formal game. Obed McCoy bowled five overs, for instance. There was no limit on how many batters played. Now, Mash, I think it's hard to analyse it, bearing in mind the nature of it. It was essentially a friendly game um, to sort of get everyone game time. But I think two two critical points. The first one is Evan Lewis opened with Johnson Child. Now, this means heading into the World Cup, Brandon King and Carl Mayers have not played together as openers um, in any of the build-up in Australia so far. Do you think this is a strange decision or do you think this sort of suggests... Um, that management aren't going to go with those two um, informed players to open at the World Cup. What can you really read into it? I'm, I'm sure there'll be people who will read a lot into it and say, how could they have how could they have planned so poorly and allowed Johnson Charles to play? But then my argument is this: How would you know if Johnson Charles is ready? Then so what? Some people say you play your best team for both the Australia games and both the UAE game and both the, and and the Netherlands game as well. But it is what it is. You need to know if your backup players are ready. People have to get game time. I reckon Carl Mayers basically didn't play in in the UAE one because they know his place. His place is set. Carl Mayers is playing. Arguably, based on what they've done in the warm-up games, there probably is an argument to say that Brandon King is now a lock at three. I don't think he should be. I think Mayers and King should open. 
And then maybe, based on the fact of, similar to what we said in one of our most recent shows, I said, obviously, Evan Lewis is going to get a game in the last two warm-up games. He would have done against the Netherlands. It got washed out. So I suspect that what we're going to see is Mayers, King and Lewis, in whichever order, are going to be the top three. The bigger worry for me is, obviously, Shamar Brooks had to be flown out as an emergency replacement for Shimon Hetmeyer. He's had no warm-up. But then, but then the other argument is, CPL was only a week and a, a week and a bit ago. So it's not like the players are coming completely out of the cold. They just had a month-long T20 tournament where everybody has had significant game time. So it's not like they all have to struggle to find their touch again. They've literally been playing. And even if you go before that, the West Indies have been playing T20s after T20s all summer. So if it is a case where against Scotland, it's suddenly, here's the team, and it looks nothing like the team that was in the warm-up, so be it. Because it's not like people are out of, uh, aren't match sharp or haven't had recent match practice. So for me, I'm not too perturbed about it because you needed to know. There's, they probably had one or two questions only that they were looking to answer. And one of them possibly was, do we go with Johnson Charles? Maybe he takes the gloves and Puran doesn't have to. And therefore, should we open Johnson, Johnson Charles? They've probably got their answer now. No, we're not playing Johnson Charles. So if it was a case of just giving the bench strength some games just to work out the one or two questions they've got, so be it. Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting topic. I think this one will be something that will be addressed with hindsight, obviously, if we crash out in the qualifying round, people will obviously draw back to, oh, why did we, why did we play Johnson Charles for all the warm-up games and build-up? We should have done this and that. However, if we're successful, as you said, it would justify their decision. So we'll have to see how it goes. I was I would be surprised if the Netherlands game, they weren't going to go for their sort of 11 that were going to play in the World Cup. So I think if the Netherlands game went ahead, we probably would have seen Lewis, Mayers and um, King as the one, two, three. But it is what it is. As you said, they've had a month of T20 competition in the Caribbean. And so really and truly, they should still be going into the qualifiers rounds as favourites. I know a lot of people have been talking about, in classic West Indian cuss-out fashion, about how we're going to end um, crashing out in the qualifying round. But I think based on the quality and the fact that we're the only side in the world that I've had so much preparation in terms of T20 matches right up until the build-up means we should be in form and prevail. The only other issue that came out of the warm-up games was Yannick Carey took a blow to their hand and had to retire early. From what we heard, it's not a fracture, it's a bruise, so they'll be monitoring that recovery. But other than that, MASH looks all set for the World Cup. What are you predicting? First game against Scotland, Monday morning, 5am UK time, we'll be up with some strong coffee what are you expecting or what are you hoping from that game as a fan and also as um as as a journalist what are you kind of what is your realistic expectations i think we'll qualify like you because it's two teams if it was one team i'd say we'd crash out in the qualifiers <laughs> because it's two it basically allows us to lose one game <laughs> um cuz cuz it's two it allows us to lose one game so and we we'll, and we will lose one game. I Man said, "Big, big, big team out here." You know, we're scraping through in, in second place. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah. I, I, so um, that's the thing. I think the nature of T. T20... Yeah, no, I, I think we'll lose one. I th- just because, as you're probably about to say, the nature of T20s, we 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 will lose one. But I, I I can't. Well, I hope that we won't lose more than one, and then if anything, net run rate takes us through. Um, then you've got a few people who are doing the whole kind of. We, we, if we get through, we'll spring a surprise because we're not fancied. No, we won't. No, we, no, we won't. If we're lucky, we'll win two games. And if may, at a push, I'm willing to say we might win three. At a push, I doubt it very strongly. But winning two games, if we get to the main stage, 
I think is a par tournament for the West Indies, and I, I'd, I'd be fine with that. I think, yeah, I think um, in world tournaments, 50 over and T20 cricket, that's sort of, as you said, that's the par. We sort of can get to the main group stage, maybe surprise one or two sides, but long gone are the days of like 2012, 2014, when we would go in as big favourites in the T20 stage, just because the amount of players we've lost, you can't expect that from this new generation, but obviously we'll be back on 99.94 in the coming weeks, looking at these matches and hopefully we won't be crashing out this time in about a week <laughs> after two games. So hopefully we'll have a few episodes talking about the World Cup. But Michelle, I think we better wrap up the episode there. Obviously, this was just an episode to sort of round up what's been going on in the region and um, we'll be back shortly. So that's it from me. Is it? Is that bye from you, Mash? It is indeed, people. And like Santoki says, World Cup, by the time we next record, World Cup has probably started and I'm sure you lot will be coming to clown us after we've lost our first game. But for, until then, <laughs> stay locked, people. Thanks for listening to West Indies on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can also download the 99.94 app from wherever you get your apps. If you'd like to follow us personally, go to at Cricket on Twitter and Instagram. You can also head to www.caribbeancricketpodcast.com where you can find links to everything we do outside of 99.94. If you'd like to follow us personally, you can find Santolki at Santolki89 and Michelle at MashSTPaddy. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of Cricket Audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Hey there, and welcome to the Joy of Paddle podcast, hosted by me, Minter Dial, a veteran of the paddle tennis world, and sponsored by Paddle 1969. Whether you're a paddle tennis aficionado, just beginning, or have never even heard of paddle, or padel, as it's called in North America, this is an exhilarating new show that delves into the captivating stories of notable paddle personalities worldwide. In its inaugural season, you'll be treated to exclusive anecdotes, valuable tips, life lessons, and humorous moments shared by esteemed professional paddle players, industry insiders, and passionate paddle enthusiasts. With each season aligning with the Pro Tour, you can anticipate two engaging episodes per month. The Joy of Paddle Podcast is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, where you can find other great shows in a number of categories, such as sports, health and wellness, true crime and fiction. To find out more about Evergreen Podcasts, go to www.evergreenpodcast.com. Vamos! Vamos!